If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. Hey, y'all. Today's story is a fascinating one to me for for a couple of reasons. I mean, just the title alone, Tia Abuela's Face, Ten Ways. Now, I need to know more about what these ten ways were. So, a little bit about the story before I begin. Lo, our protagonist, has been working as an anthropologist uh, way across the galaxy from her friends and her family back home. And it seems like her work is really fulfilling. But it also takes her physically away from her loved ones, including her tia abuela. And when her tia abuela dies, she grieves and desperately tries to find a way to connect with her. The story was published in Speculative Fiction for Dreamers, a Latinx anthology published by the Ohio State University Press. And the story was written by Lisa M. Bradley, who describes herself as a queer Latina living in Iowa who writes everything from novels to haiku, usually with a speculative slant. And I must say that her short story writing, if this is any indication, and I'm certain that it is, is on par with the best out there. I appreciate how Lisa's story made me think about how and why we choose to honor our loved ones. Made me think about body modification and what drives it, and even what the future family structures might look like. So, please check out the written content advisory if that's something you want to know about. And if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Tia Abuela's face... Ten Ways, by Lisa M. Bradley. On satellite video, via the tablet propped on the tray table beside her hospital bed. 
in the background, bag-eyed. Papa drones a monologue of medical ease I hardly hear as I study her closed eyes, closed face. It's like she's already dead. Even after Tia Abuela lost her speech, she never missed my calls. She'd peer into the camera, fascinated by the new skies and weird landscapes behind me, bouncing up and down a bit whenever I introduced her to an alien. That's what our fellow galactics were called in the pulp novels we once read together. Now, in chairs drawn around her, abuelas, uncles, cousins, weep. It's so unfair. Why do they get to sit so close while I'm half a galaxy away? They never sat with her at the kitchen table, reading dreams of the future while maranitos baked in the oven. I shift impatiently in my bunk, furious that physical and emotional proximity aren't proportional. Even by blood, we are distant. Technically, Nevea's not my grand-aunt, but a great-aunt. Just an extra generation to drive the sting deeper. Papa continues explaining her swift decline in scrupulous detail. I don't complain. This is how he copes. As if the future can't come so long as he's describing the present. Why not believe? Maybe he'll prolong the vigil until I make it home to say goodbye. Like in those books Tia Abuela and I read, maybe he can stretch time. Upside down, crowded around her coffin with the cousins. When I realize I'm silently willing her to open her eyes, to share those epically dark galaxies once more, I force myself to examine the rest of her. The mortuary beautician plumped out the wrinkle at the corner of her mouth, the one forged by her perpetual smirk, perhaps thinking it was a scar we'd like erased. I mention it as we return to our pews. The further the relation, the farther back the pew. And Tia Yasmin overhears, turns to snap at me. It's easy to criticize, but you weren't here, were you? She is wearing mourning mascara the kind that runs if you cry, to show how distraught you are. Tia Abuela Nevea never wore makeup, and I cried all my tears while waiting to get through quarantine. No, you were gallivanting around space, she says, sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Seeing I'm speechless, Cousin Er tries to intervene. Mom, it's her job, Z hisses. She's an anthropologist. Tia Yasmin stands, the better to chide me. No, if Lo truly cared for Tia Nevea, if she cared for this family, she would have been here, not studying bucks. Uncle Jaden, now craned in his seat, raises an eyebrow at me. Not ironically, 
To show dismay at the Xenomisiac slur, he could care less about the Crusain, the Galactics I'm working with. No, he's challenging me to deny Yasmin's criticism. After all, how many times has he lectured me about not taking sufficient interest in my own people, La Rasa? Gossipy whispers rake through the room until even Papa, standing at the entry, notices the commotion. He finishes greeting an elderly mourner before turning in our direction and frowning hard enough to give himself a unibrow. Yasmin sucks her teeth and flounces away, but I worry Papa's frown was meant for me. After the morning period, in the hallway of her house. Tia Yasmin wants to donate all of Tia Abuela's paper books to a museum. Cousin Er slants a glance in my direction, and Papa clears his throat. He suggests I might like to select a few that are special to me before they're donated. Yasmin speaks as if I'm not even in the room. Don't be ridiculous. She can't possibly spare room in her vessel. Besides... What adult needs books about dragons and killer robots? <sighs> it's like while crying in quarantine, I wept away my spine, too. Or maybe I'm just exhausted from the breakneck journey because I don't bother arguing. I leave the sorting of possessions to them. Later, I'll steal some well-thumbed novel anyway one with pages dog-eared to mark her favorite lines. I offer to clean instead. I dial the windows from black to clear. Feathers and fur appear in the corners of every room. Tia Abuela's pets are gone. While she was in the hospital, Miss Abuelas adopted the owl and the pussycat, but they left plenty behind. Wondering what else will materialize, I go from room to room to uncover the fabric-shrouded mirrors. Once we covered mirrors to keep the deceased spirit from getting caught. Now it keeps us from primping when we should be grieving. As I reach for the black fabric, I consider how the Cruchane might interpret our mourning ritual. They have no concept of vanity, at least not the ones we've met. At the end of the hall hangs a small, rectangular mirror Tia Abuela used for meditation. I remember it's old and very plain. No buttons for a diagnostic overlay. No slideshow when it's idle. I pull the fabric and am turning away when, out of the corner of my eye, I see Nevea in the mirror. Skin prickling, I whip my head around. She's not there. Of course she isn't. It was merely my reflection, a delusion born of bone-deep desperation to see her again, alive and vibrant. I jeer at my reflection. If you'd gotten here in time and notice a wrinkle at the corner of my mouth, maybe I did see her. The piece... Anyway, in digital albums 
as I search out images and video of her. I'm staying at Papa's, but he turned my old bedroom into a studio. I sit at his desk under a framed collage resembling my vessel. It's crafted from painted snippets of anthro textbooks, star charts, horoscopes. Apparently, our agreement not to discuss astrology has no bearing on his art, even if it's about me. I'm not here to look at that anyway. The family's been sharing digital albums, and Papa made copies for me. I search for pics and vids of Nevaeh when she was my age. An idea I don't dare verbalize percolates in my head. <laughs> Laughter bursts from the living room. Cumbias are in vogue again, and half my cousins are trying to teach the moves to Tio Benny and his husbands. Being jazz, not pop bands, <laughs> the three men are apparently hopeless, providing much-needed merriment to Papa, Mis Abuelas, and the grown kids. Listening to the happy chaos, I can almost smile. Cousin Ur, followed by Tunas, Zer Purple Chow Chow, comes to ask if I want dance lessons too. I'm glad to see Zem, though Z had to sneak out of Zer parents' house to get here. Yasmin and Jaden don't approve of Tio Benny's lifestyle. And true, my cumbia skills are rusty, but I tell her I have to finish some work first. Tunas, perturbed by the crashing in the living room, stays to sleep on my feet. My set of reference images grows, and my idea turns into a plan. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Now, let's get back to our story. Superimposed over my likeness in the surgeon's office. The consultation suite smells like rosemary rather than the antiseptic I expect. Were it a cruchane actualization chamber, it'd smell of hot metal and charred carapace. My armchair is angled toward the doctors in a way that makes me nervous, as if I'm about to be interviewed for a media stream. Dr. Vasquez massages the console disguised as a side table And my face, a meter tall, replaces the wind-ruffled prairie grasses projected on the opposite wall. He drums his fingers on the table, and Tia Abuela's face, just as large, ghosts over mine. I've been doing photo manipulations for days, but seeing the overlapping here, beside a surgeon, I rock in my chair, thrilled. He notes a more-than-passing resemblance and asks if she's a relative. Delighted, he sees the similarities. I tell him our exact relationship. Then I assure him there are no copyright issues. Even before I left home, people were trying to emulate neo-Bollywood stars and resurrected vocaloids. But Nevea, a school nurse, was never famous. Dr. Vasquez purses his lips and twists them to the left. At first, I take his silence for dispassionate professionalism. When the silence grows awkward, I stop rocking. Sweat erupts on my upper lip. Is he going to say it's not possible? There must have been some kind of miscommunication, he finally says. I don't do onmods. I don't know what that means. I ignored the term on the forms I completed, overwhelmed after the first 20 acronyms and various medical jargon I had to look up. I've been off-world, I say. He taps his console, and the overlapping images disappear. Loneliness creeps over me. He doesn't notice my feelings, perhaps too busy trying to mask his own. There's a growing trend, he explains crisply. 
of people seeking to honor their relatives, recent and ancestral, via reconstructive surgery. Such surgeries are called honorary modifications. Onmods, for short. Despite his barely concealed disgust, I'm elated. I'm not the only one. There are others like me. Enough even to necessitate a portmanteau. So, it's possible, I say, and my voice shrills with glee. Dr. Vasquez gives me a look worthy of Tia Yasmin. Then, he gives me a referral. Blurrily, in a nurse's mirror. Everything is swimmy, which I guess is appropriate since the serum in my irises is modeled after the chromatophores in octopus skin. Eventually, I should be able to change the color of my eyes as easily as dialing a window black, clear, or anywhere in between. I blink impatiently and ask for a mirror. The nurse, a round blur of dark skin and lilac uniform, tells me to settle down. You just got out of surgery. There's nothing to see but bandages, if you can even see that. She introduces herself as Ruti. I realize she has a prosthetic hand when one of her fingers becomes a small flashlight she shines in my eyes. She asks me to look this way and that, and I comply. Then she reviews my vitals, quite leisurely, and reports them to me. I take stock of my surroundings, trying not to scream in frustration. The private room is dimly lit. Tulips brighten a bedside table, and the word tulips reminds me of Tunis, my cousin's dog. Remembering the fluffy weight on my feet soothes me in a way the nurse's deliberate pace can't. Rudy holds up her tablet. I will let you have a peek, but I'm warning you, you won't be able to see well until you've watched the calibration video. That's normal. And remember, even after the bandages come off, your face may not look that different. The first phase of alterations has to be minimal. Regulations. Do that many people change their minds? Ruti shrugs, setting her tablet to mirror mode. Maybe 15%. Some people find they aren't good patients. Once they experience the first mods, they choose to make do with cosmetics, hair, mannerisms. I nod. I myself now sport the undercut Tia Abuela preferred in her 30s. Ruti finally gives me the device which I seize with trembling hands. She was right. Half my face is covered with gauze and anesthetic patches, but I can see my eyes are darker than before. It's like Tia Abuela's looking up at me from a rippling pond. Once I've calibrated and practiced, I'll be able to embellish my irises with even darker flecks to more closely match Nevaeh's eyes. I can't cry yet. The surgeons did something to my tear ducts to avoid a histamine response. As I hand back the tablet, 
Rudy squeezes my shoulder. I look up to smile gratefully. Now I can see her eyes. They're golden. As a mosaic between surgeries three and four. I can cry again. And I do. I thought healing from surgery two was the worst physical pain in my life until surgery three. The only way I can endure the thought of surgery four is by telling myself that it's probably the last. And no matter how awful, it can't compare to the emotional blow almost a year ago when I docked my vessel and reopened the comlink to learn I was too late. Tia Abuela was dead. Between crying jags, I sent pics and video of myself to my colleagues. Human and Crucian alike will need to adjust to my new appearance. My transformation is also a fabulous opportunity. My colleagues use the images to discuss with the Crucian delegation the complexities of grief, mourning, familial connection, bodily autonomy, medical tech, and social sanction in human cultures. The images are, objectively speaking, hideous. My eyes work perfectly now, and in the pics I see Tia Abuela's face like an ill-wrought mosaic. Familiar features pushed apart by surgical grout. Red cuts, puffiness, healing scars, sometimes even the glint of gossamer stitches. I send photos to Papa, too, who's sworn to secrecy, but those are never as graphic as the ones I send into space. The vids are worse because they show the mangled mosaic is moving. I never send those to Papa. One of my roommates in recovery watches her bots operate as avidly as other people watch sex crime shows. She says it hurts less when she can see what's happening, which is the bots working beneath her flesh to reconnect nerves, create new ones, and restore capillaries. Our bots will make it possible for us to blush, sweat, and wrinkle. I think the last one is funny. Most people want to avoid wrinkles. Not me. At age 80, I want to look like 80-year-old Nevaeh. Ruti says when I hit 110, I may reconsider. I hurt most at night, even if Ruti doses me up before bed. Among some Crucian, the worst pain is called, as best as we can translate it, burrow blight. Individuals in burrow blight make an extremely loud, rhythmic scratching sound, not so different from the ululations one might hear at a human funeral. They say the sound relieves suffering. I'd try it, but I don't have the proper mandibles. Instead, I stare into a mirror by moonlight. I'm not looking at my face, just the narrow strip around my eyes, like Tia Abuela looked into her hallway mirror to meditate. I stare into my 
her deep, dark eyes and find comfort. I'm catching up. In the expressions on my family's faces. Tia Yasmin disowns me. I have stolen Nevea's face, I'm told. It's a sacrilege. No one will ever replace her, especially not some pocha who's more interested in bug genealogy than her own culture. Tio Jaden threatens a lawsuit. Papa isn't thrilled either. But at least my photos prepared him. He doesn't disown Yasmin in return, partly because Abuela Tiffany is already crying. But he kicks her and Jaden out of his house. They try to drag their kids after them, but Ur, who took one look at me and began to weep, and Ur's youngest sibling fight to stay. Tunis also stays, but that's loyalty to Ur. Nothing to do with me. Zer parents banished. Ur hugs me harder than I've ever been hugged in my life. It's beautiful, Z whispers in my ear. What you've done, Lo. What you've sacrificed? I scoff through my tears, aware of the wrinkle at the corner of my mouth deepening. What sacrifice? I just couldn't bear to be without her. Abuela Tiffany looks anguished. She grips my hand and says, Tia Nevea never would have asked you to do this. She loved your face, Carida. And I love hers, I say, smiling helplessly. Abuela Chris, who's never cried over spilt milk, says, It's weird, and I don't get it. But more importantly, won't this be a bureaucratic nightmare? What about all your IDs? Papa snorts. She willingly broke the bones in her face. You think she gives a flip about her pilot's license? I laugh, and Papa manages a weak smile. Tio Benny asks to take a photo with me, which he sends to his husband's with an invite that reads, Yasmin has been, and she won't be back. Bring the kids. There are plenty more people to tell, or show, and from the abuela's bewildered expressions, I know I've got a lot of explaining to do, but just now, my relief is so vast... I literally can't stand it. I sit on the floor. Tunis approaches me and tilts her head. I offer my hand. She sniffs it, and seemingly satisfied, she plops down on my feet. Within minutes, she's snoring. In the corner of my new identification card. When I've finally slashed through all the red tape, a turn of phrase my colleagues needed a history book to explain to the Cruchane delegation, I show Abuela Chris my new ID card. Will you look at that, she muses. How does the system distinguish you from Nevaeh? Other than her being dead, I mean. Cringeworthy as I find the addendum, I remind her that though my irises have changed color, 
my retinas are the same and could never be mistaken for Nevaeh's, nor could my fingerprints. Even my blood type is different. Abuela rolls her eyes at herself and says, Of course, of course, it's still you under there. Exactly. Well, I guess it's all really real now, she says, hugging me with one arm. I lean into her love. Really real, I say. My cheeks feel warm, and I realize the bots did their job. I'm blushing with pride. Now, every time I look in a mirror. Back at work, I smile at myself in every reflective surface I see. It's a good thing the Cruchane have no concept of vanity. I wouldn't want to give them the wrong idea. Sometimes I force a smirk in front of the mirror. Otherwise, the wrinkle at the corner of my mouth won't take hold like Tia Abuela's did. Wearing her face requires some upkeep, but it's worth it to see those eyes, dark and shining like galaxies, and the wonder lifting her cheeks. Nevea is always with me. I'll never be too late again. For me, yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of questions that come up in reading this story. And on the issue of body modification, the time and place in which this story actually occurs, um, I, I don't know what the other societal norms are. There aren't that many clues except for the advanced nature of the technology that they're working with, right? But what I wonder is the body modification that she's looking to do and on this journey carrying out on herself, is it akin to, say, what um, a breast job was 20, 30 years ago, right? At the the beginning, it, there was a much more of a stigma about it than, than certainly there is today. And, and in today's society, in, in our present time scenario, you know, we are, um, we've far outstripped you know, breast modification in terms of our application of the of the technology. But I, I I'm always my default is rooting for the protagonist in the story. That's just the way I approach reading. And so my automatic assumption was that her desire was a healthy one. But based on the reaction of the people in her life, her family, the doctor that she goes to, there's a lot of resistance to what she's wanting to do. And then what happens to her sense of identity once she supplants her, her aunt's face for her own, right? Does, does that have psychological impact on her? I mean, I definitely believe that how we present to the world 
is an important part of how we communicate our story in life. And it's always the case that, you know, we read these stories and, and then, you know, time passes and you think about them and all sorts of things occur that, that tend to seep in after the fact. But my initial response to reading the story was that she was on a journey that was righteous, right? In its rightness for her. However, on second thought, I'm really not so sure. producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Our editing and sound design by Andy Kristen's daughter, one of our new kids on the block who's not so new anymore. Our sound engineering is by Brendan Burns and my favorite engineer, LeVar Burton. My thanks to Lisa M. Bradley for allowing me to read her story. If you liked it, check out more of Lisa's work at lisambradley.com, which includes a poetry anthology honoring Ursula K. Le Guin and a not-so-safe-for-work novel called Exile, described as a little bit escape from New York, a little bit road warrior. And if you like this podcast, one of the ways you can show it is by sharing an episode with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and include a story suggestion for us. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and also have access to some exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana, she is the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, LeVar.Burton on Instagram, or my website, LeVarBurton.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.